hello everyone. This is Jessica. And this is Caitlin. And this is the Calling All Spirits podcast. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I had a little run in with uh, food delivery that went a little sideways, but I've been fed and I am much happier now. (laughs) Very good. Very good. And I mean, it's Sunday. It's like relaxing or it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's part of why I was like, I have, I wanted to finish prepping for today and our recording. And so I was like, that's okay. I can have Taco Bell delivered. Plus I had maybe hopped on TikTok for a minute and there was a thing about Taco Bell. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. But they kept like delaying the delivery time. I'm like an hour and a half for the Taco Bell up the road. I think perhaps not guys. No, Um, that's, that's a little crazy. That was dumb. So I canceled the order. I got in the car, came back and, and then I had my food and I felt much better after that. (laughs) How's your Sunday going? (laughs) Very good. Um, you know, just um, super exciting Costco, H-E-B, Target. Just Honestly, really- brave of you to do those on a Sunday. <laughs> oh, on Super Bowl Sunday. Which <gasps> yeah. Yikes. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but we we're like, why aren't there so many people out? And we're like, oh, Super Bowl. Yeah, none of our teams are in it this year. So we're just like, wah, wah. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard good things about what the, the halftime show is supposed to be, but... I figure that'll be available on YouTube later so I can watch it when I feel like it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, just um, not too much. But I'm happy because today I'm so excited. (laughs) Why are you so excited? (laughs) We are just covering like two of my favorite sisters well, three, but two in particular in this movement. Yeah, you don't like the third one. That doesn't count. <laughs> She's not, I'm not a big fan. Not a big fan. But I, I think I'm so excited because this is really was like my first introduction to spiritualism, really. And this, these were, this was kind of like the first story I heard about spiritualism. And it just, I, but I think that's how it is for a lot of people. This is kind of your intro into this movement. Yeah, once again, I don't fit the mold. This was not my introduction, but <laughs> I did learn about them early on because you can't start researching spiritualism without hitting, without hitting these. Like, there's there's no possible way. That's, I mean, we even talked about starting the show off with them because so many people make their jump into the conversation about spiritualism with this topic, and then we're like, no, nah, we need to we need to build the stage for them to really shine. Yeah, I agree. And give credit to those that came before them, because I think they just kind of get mentioned in passing, and then they move on. And I'm sure, probably for most people listening, they know who we're going to talk about. And for everybody else, it's like, okay, tell us already. Right, we've been teasing for two episodes already. Could you tell us who it is? Yes, and so we're not going to tease you any longer. We are going to dive into the history of the Fox sisters today. Yay! So are you ready to get started? Absolutely. Let's get into it. So we are going to start today. This is going to be part one because since it's one of our favorite topics, we couldn't limit it to just one episode. I mean, there has to be a part two. So here we go. The beginning. Dun, dun, dun. So on March 31st, 1848, Andrew Jackson Davis noted the following statement. About daylight this morning, a warm breathing passed over my face, and I heard a voice, tender and strong, saying, Brother, the good work has begun. Behold, a living demonstration is born. 
I was left wondering what could be meant by such a message. Well, on that date, one of the greatest religious movements of the 19th century began in the bedroom of two young girls living in a farmhouse in New York. So let's begin the story. So we are going to travel to a little town called Hydesville. It was a hamlet in western New York within Arcadia's borders in an area known over known as the Burnt Over District. It was named after Henry Hyde, a doctor who arrived in the area to work as a physician, but later opened up a successful tavern and became a wealthy man. The town grew as people moved to the area, and a little cluster of farms and establishments sprung up, serving the farmer, which included a gristmill, a sawmill, and a general store. So this was just a quaint little town in New York. Mm. But all that was about to change. <laughs> <laughs> little did they know. Little did they know. So, in December of 1847, the Fox family moved to the rural community of Hydesville, New York, and rented a modest one-and-a-half-story frame house with plans to build a home of their own in the future. Members of the household consisted of David Fox, his wife Margaret, and their two young daughters, Maggie and Kate. Now, the ages of the daughters varies. So, depending on your source. So, at the time they arrived, some sources have Maggie at 11 and Kate at 9 years old, which puts them quite a bit younger, where other sources have Maggie aged 14 and Kate 10 years old. So, depending on what you read, it could be different. Given how quickly some of their relationships evolve after their uh, lives take off, I really hope it was the latter. Exactly. I hope they were a little older, but we don't really know. We do know they were the youngest of six children. Their other siblings were already grown and had families of their own. Now, the farmhouse had been occupied by a string of tenants, and while it wasn't a large home, it was considered comfortable and boasted a good number of windows, two stoves, kitchen, attic, and a basement. Dun, dun, dun! I was waiting for that. Yes, remember that basement. Now, only three months after settling into the home, the lives of the Fox family would be forever changed. In March of 1848, the rented house began to resound with eerie knocks at night, some soft and faint, two raps sharp enough to jar bedstands and tables. Some pretty so intense it, knocking. I know. That wouldn't wake you up at night. That would Having be somebody knock on my bed frame? You bet your butt it would. <laughs> exactly. Now, the knockings always began in the evening, just after the family had gone to bed. The family repeatedly searched the farmhouse for the cause of the knocks, but their efforts proved futile. The knocks continued night after night, and finally, on March 31st, we remember that date, a desperate Margaret Fox had had enough of the wrappings and demanding the household to just ignore them and just try to get a good night's sleep. So I don't really know how feasible that is, that you're having these wrappings, they're on even your bed, and it's like, just ignore them. Don't acknowledge them. I don't, I, that would have been very difficult. That, that ranks right up there with being able to ignore 
the sirens outside your window. Well, actually, more than that. Like, the dog barking at you while it's begging for food. Like, it's a right there, it's immediate, and it's a me- it's massively distracting and disruptive. No, no, I don't think I can ignore the fact that there's knocking above my head on my bed keeping me awake. Thank you. <laughs> well, as you, as you can imagine, as you just proved, it doesn't work. No. So as soon as everyone goes to bed, I mean, they are just exhausted from so many sleepless nights. They lay down. The wrapping begins again. However, this time and this evening, it's going to be different because the young girls begin mimicking the noises by snapping their fingers and interacting with the unseen spirit. If they clapped four times, four raps came afterward and so forth. And now here's what I love. The mother who's been like, just ignore it. Don't acknowledge it. Just get some sleep. She decides to join in. Like, okay, we're, we're doing this. <laughs> why of course, not? Why not? Like, clearly my plan isn't working. I'll go with your plan, dears. Let's, <laughs> let's play with the random ghost in the house. Basically, yes. <laughs> so Margaret joins in and is asking the spirit to count to 10. And then 10 raps were made. The spirit correctly answered questions, gave the ages of the girls... Hopefully the correct one, we would think, whatever the correct age well, Maybe we can were. ask the ghosts, how old were they when this happened? That would be really helpful. <laughs> that would be extremely helpful. Um, the, the spirit apparently knew, so they got that right. And after this, the lines of communication were open. And while the girls appeared to be terrified... Margaret continued, and they actually even called their neighbors to come over and be witnesses to these wrappings, and further questioning by Mrs. Fox and others just continued into the night. So basically, they went and woke these people up next door in the middle of the night, and were like, you've got to come see this. You've got to come see what's happening in our house. I mean, I know there's a world where you were, we used to be closer with our neighbors, but even as a kid, I can't imagine... Our neighbors frantically knocking on the door at two o'clock in the morning saying, you got to come see this and it going well. I, yeah, I think it depends. I could in our neighborhood, but we were a bunch of crazy kids. So, but no, you're right. You're right. I mean, but then again, this is before TV and movies and all no, this stuff. Sure. I mean, this would have been, well, even today though, like if our neighbors woke me up and were like, crazy stuff is happening in my house, come see it. I, I would. Oh, no, I would go, too. I'm it. thinking about in terms of me going out and doing it. I'm like, I don't. Oh. And like thinking about the neighbors I had as a kid, if it happened in any point in the evening, it would absolutely be fine. And at least their kids would come play with us and see what was going on. But it's like the midnight, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. I'm just like, no, no, that would that would that would that would get us yelled at by both mom and dad because we had a bunch of dual income households in our neighborhood. And they were all driving like two hours to get to work in the morning. So yeah. I don't, I see that going very badly, very quickly. Very, well, you make a good point. Good thing for the foxes. Their neighbors were <laughs> they all were about it. They were two hours away. I'm sure that helped. It probably helped. I mean, just like if something was happening today, soon word spread and hundreds of curiosity seekers began to pack the rooms of the fox house to witness these wrappings for themselves. I mean, which makes a lot of sense. If you have the haunted house in the neighborhood and they're welcoming people to come see what's happening, I mean, I'm there. Like, I'll I'll drag my family to go see this. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Now, it is worth noting right here that the Fox family wasn't the first to experience these unexplained noises. The Weakman family that had lived in the house prior to the Foxes actually came forward and admitted that they had also been terrorized by raps and even went on to claim to see a man who had on gray pants, a black frock coat, and a black cap. So they said they were terrorized by the rappings as well while they lived there. Man in the hat. That's that's apparently a big trope in ghost stories. I hadn't heard about it a whole lot until I started listening to real life ghost stories a couple of years ago. And yeah, the, the man in the hat or the man in the black hat. Um, it's ongoing constant and it's everywhere, apparently, like between different cultures and everything. Oh, that's really interesting. I it's didn't know that. Very so yeah, cool. the fact that he wore the coat and the hat. I'm like, oh, oh, I hear a hat. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks. He mm-hmm. would have a hat on. That makes sense. Well, and it's interesting. And I'm curious about the Weakman family because I could see this two ways. I could see they're just coming forward now because the Fox sisters are like, or the Fox family's getting like all this. People are interested and they're fascinated and they want to be like, hey, we heard stuff too. Like we, we experience, I could see it as a little bit of that, but I could also see them maybe experiencing this, but being terrified to speak out because people would think they were crazy or who are these weird people? So I, I could see it both ways. Like, yeah, like don't leave us out, but also validity to your story because we had it too. Yeah. Like it could be the altruistic version or both. Honestly, they're not mutually exclusive. Right, right. Now, you may be wondering, okay, who is the spirit? Who is the spirit, Jess? (laughs) Well, let me tell you, Caitlin. (laughs) So, through a series of questions, the foxes were able to determine that the spirit was that of a peddler named Charles B. Rosna or Rosma. And I will say, I was listening to the caretaker of the... um, kind of Fox Sisters Museum and they don't they they aren't sure if it's Rosna or Rosma to this day so put it out there but he had been murdered in the home five years prior by the previous owner Mr. Bell and he actually gave details of how he died so he said that okay this is a little graphic warning his throat had been slit with a butcher knife at 12 a.m. on a Tuesday evening His body was taken down to the cellar and was buried the following evening, 10 feet below the surface of the ground. The motive motive was the small fortune of $500 he had been carrying with him. Ugh. Like, that's a horrible way to go. Like, ugh. Not not to sound pragmatic in this situation, because it's obviously horrifying. Why would you dig down 10 feet? I don't know. That I mean, we don't even excessive. do that. Exactly. We don't even do that today. Uh-uh. It's six just feet. six feet. I don't know. And we have backhoes. <laughs> oh my God. Like they're digging 10 feet by hand. Like why? Especially since and- it's in your basement. Who are you worried is going to find it? Well, exactly. Especially back then. Yeah. I mean, it's not. And. And he was also buried the following evening. So they just, but maybe that's because it took that long to dig. If you're digging down 10 feet, feet I can definitely see them digging for 24 hours straight to get that far. (sighs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And and from what we know at the house, it was just Mr. and Mrs. Bell. 
Yeah, so, so like they weren't even as long as it's in the basement, no one's gonna find the body while you dig it into the. I don't that that part doesn't seem logical. <laughs> I don't know. This is what the spirit said, and it, I mean, if somebody's gonna rob him, five hundred dollars at that time was a lot of money. Oh yeah, like, no, it's that not like was 500 a today. lot. Oh no, no, not at all. Now. What's interesting, I mean, because some people could just dismiss this as like, oh, they're making this up. But there's actually a witness that can collaborate the story. So her name was Lucretia Pulver, and she had lived and worked with the Bells while attending school. And she actually recounted the story of a peddler that had come to the Bell's house. And the last time she saw the man alive, she was about to return to her family's home. And she had asked the peddler to please come by her house because she wanted to purchase a few of his items, but she didn't have any money herself. So this peddler had promised to stop by at her home later that evening, um, but he never showed up. He never made it. And when she finally returned back to the Bell's house, she said she found a large hole in the basement. So, so not dun, only dun, did dun. they dig down 10 feet, they didn't fill it in all the way? I- <laughs> maybe, th- <laughs> maybe they weren't very good at that. <laughs> I don't think they were. I, it says she saw a large hole. Now, I'm wondering if just the ground was kind of sunken in. Because it'd be pretty obvious if there was a big... I'm just thinking it was kind of sunken in, maybe. That's valid. It was a big divot. Like, it was big in, like, diameter, not in depth, maybe. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Exactly. So, I mean, that is that is fascinating that she's backing up the spirit story. So, naturally, the father, David Fox, and a crew of men began digging in the basement. Like, if there's a body down here, let's find it. However, each time they tried, their efforts were thwarted due to rising water. They'd only get down two, maybe three feet, and water would start filling in the hole. So, they were never successful. Yeah, given that it was March, the frost is slowly starting to melt and Runoff likes to go everywhere, especially with pre-floating foundations. Yeah. So they could never prove it was true, even though they tried. And I did uh, read where they found like a few bones and some fragments, but they could never, it wasn't very deep down and they could never prove that it had anything to do with the pet Maybe they dug straight down 10 feet. They buried him with his arms straight up in the air and they got as far as the fingertips. Problem. Maybe instead of going, they're not. We're gonna bury him standing straight up with his arms raised to the heavens, and then everybody found his fingertips, and that was it. It's <laughs> the weirdest hypothesis I've come up with in a while. And I don't know why I'm so disturbed by the thought of finding finger trips. I mean, fingertips. Like, well, I'm thinking whole- finger bones, like the tips of his phalanges, not the fleshy stuff. Because not to make you feel worse, but the, the rats would have eaten the flesh already by that point. I'm a terrible friend and I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on. Now, this is what I think is kind of funny. Like, it makes sense, but I still think it's funny. Like, while witnesses were amazed at the detail of the peddler's story, they thought this was fascinating. They were actually just more excited about what the spirit could tell them about themselves. Like, like, that's a cool cool story, but tell me more about me. Like, they, they were just interested in themselves. That 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 sounds like human nature. <laughs> it does. I just feel bad. This poor peddler's like, here's my story. 
help me out. And they're like, okay, great. Now, um, what can you tell me about me? So like, you're all knowing, right? Can you tell me about my life and like what's going to happen? (laughs) And also, does like my grandma want to say hi? (laughs) No wonder this peddler was like banging on like Ben's Someone listen to me. Help, poor poor guy. (sighs) Now... All this was detailed by this enterprising journalist named E.E. Lewis, who documents the phenomenon. He records statement made by family members, friends, the people witnessing this. Interesting enough, he didn't record any statements from the Fox sisters themselves. Mm. Is that because the parents wouldn't let him have access? Considering how much they let the world have access to their daughters. Yeah, that's fair. Probably not. Now, he gains 22 signed statements, and he publishes a 40-page pamphlet. Nice. I'm going to have to take a breath to get... (laughs) Yeah, y'all remember the last episode when we said, this is the beginning of long titles, and you ain't heard nothing yet. Um, This is one of the ones we were talking about. And to breathe deep. (laughs) Get prepared. Got to clear my throat. So, E.E. Lewis's pamphlet was titled... A report of the mysterious noises heard in the house of Mr. John D. Fox in Hydesville, Arcadia, Wayne County, authenticated by the certificates and confirmed by the statements of the citizens of that place and vicinity. Really, Mr. Lewis? Like, couldn't shorten that? At all? A report of the mysterious noises heard in the house of Mr. John D. Fox in Hydesville. Done. Done. That's all you needed. Mm -hmm. All you needed. Now, here's uh, just as a note, in defense of the Bells, all those witnesses that signed their name, they did state, okay, it's not a hoax. These wrappings are real, but none of them would say that they thought the Bells had killed the peddler. They always said they were honest people. They were of good character, morals. He was a pillar of the community. Basically, yes. So they agreed with everything else, but not that the bells had ki- killed the peddler. So I wanted to put that out too. Yes, any any anyone that we have that is a crossover in the true crime community will recognize all of those descriptors, and they will mean the opposite to you. Yes. So I guess we'll we will never know. We will never know. Yeah. No. Of course not. Just because uh, he was a wonderful, upstanding citizen, clearly he couldn't be a killer. No, that's not how that works at all. No. no. <laughs> I, actually, I say no like I know, but I'm too much of a chicken. I'll do ghost stuff all day, but don't get me in true crime. I'm, I, it scares me. <laughs> but but ghosts? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Hauntings? That's fine. So if the ghost of a true crime victim situation came to you, how would you handle that exactly? <sighs> I'd send them to you. <laughs> So was it a hand-forged knife from Japan, or was it a basic kitchen knife? I don't think I'm a good choice either. I would be like, I have a beautiful friend that would be much better at this than I would. The true crime, it scares me so much. That's valid. Humans can be monsters, and it is not a comforting thought. No, no. I'd rather deal with the spirits any day of the week. Now... To continue, so we're going to introduce their older sister, Leah. So in 1848, Maggie and Kate's older sister, Leah, was living in Rochester, New York with her daughter, Lizzie, and she was teaching piano to support her family 
after her husband had abandoned them several years prior. It was actually one of Leah's piano students who told her about the mysterious happenings in Hydesville. So Leah knew nothing of what was going on at her family's home um, until the student told her. And at that point, they were calling the house the spook house. That's what they were. That's it was growing famous. So like anyone would do, Leah quickly traveled to Hydesville. Um, and when she arrived, she found her family seeking refuge from the spirits and these crowds um, at their brother, at her brother David's home. So they had fled their house to go to the, one of the older son David's house because it was just getting out of control. Her mother appeared exhausted and her father was working tirelessly to complete the new house. So this poor dad is like, we just got to get the new house built. We just got to get the new house built. Like that's all he's focused on to get them out of that farmhouse. Um, I love his optimism that, you know, there won't be a body buried in the basement of this house. Never mind. Someone could have buried a body in the field that you built on top of. I know. I, I actually know. feel, I feel really bad for the dad that it's like, like, Fair. I don't think he knew what, what, what they had gotten themselves into. Oh, yeah, he didn't sign up for any of this. <laughs> no, he just wanted to move to a nice farming community. That's all he wanted. He had several kids. He was down to the last two and this happened. I know. They were almost done. Like, so close. Just gonna... <laughs> so close. <laughs> oh, bless them. Now, while they were living at David's, this move proved futile because now the raps just started at David's house. Mm-hmm. And that's when they finally realized, okay, they're follow- the, the rapping's following our daughters. And they put it primarily on Kate. They thought Kate was the catalyst. So... And another attempt to make the wrapping stop, Leah decides to take Kate with her back to Rochester. Because they thought if they separated the two sisters, that would end the wrappings. That would be done. Ooh, that plan failed. And the noises continued not only now in Hinesville, but now they're starting in Rochester. So wrapping these two girls are, there's wrappings happening. So according to Leah, this is what happened. This is a quote from her. Tables and everything in the room below us were being moved about. Doors were opened and shut, making the greatest possible noises. Then they walked upstairs and into the room next to us. There seemed to be many actors engaged in the performance and a large audience in attendance. One spirit was heard to dance as if with clogs, which continued fully for 10 minutes. So it's getting a little crazy in Rochester. No kidding. 10 minutes of clog dancing unasked for would be a little bit to deal with. I can see if you're going to a place where they have the clog dancing. Absolutely. Hours of it. I mean, I've, I haven't done clog dancing, but I've been to river dance on purpose and everything. So like <laughs> loud, loud dancing is, is up my wheelhouse, but unasked for in the middle of the night, not so much. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just picturing like river dance dancers like above you, like while you're trying to sleep. <laughs> oh, that would not be enjoyable. It'd yeah. be very confusing to me. Although I will say, when I went, I went starting with a headache, and my headache was gone by the end of the show. Oh, really? Yeah, percussion noises That's... actually help with my headaches. Uh, drum lines do the same thing. So you would have found this maybe welcoming. This may have helped you. It was like my thunderstorm recording. You know, it, but it was clog dancing. I I could have soothed me right to sleep. You never know. 
you would you would have been fine. You would have enjoyed them. We'll have to ask my mom if that was ever tried trying to get me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, I love it. I love it. Well, this was not soothing to Leah and the, the family. They did not enjoy it. Um, so the girls and so Leah and the girls they abandoned the house. Um, and I love they abandoned it and they stated, well, it was old. It was probably just haunted too. Like it, it has nothing to do with Kate being there. It was just a haunted house. So they moved to a new house that they thought, okay, this one's probably not haunted. We're fine. But the wrapping still continued. So they realized there's no sense having the girls separated. So Maggie traveled to Rochester and um, a man named Calvin Brown, who the family had kind of taken under their wing he came with her because they thought having a guy there in Rochester, he'll protect them all from these unseen spirit forces. Uh, spoiler alert. Does not, doesn't work. Does not work. No. no. So here we Now, one evening, you're going to see kind of what it, I love this. So it's like ignore the noises, get away from the noises. We don't want them. But just like in Hydesville, Lee is like, hey. Why don't we just try to talk to them? Why don't we try to communicate? Let's interact with them. Avoiding the problem isn't working. Let's steer into this curve. See what happens. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. So Leah decided to interact with the spirit. And in her, these are her words, Leah's words. I was amused. He seemed so willing to do my bidding that I could not resist the temptation of speaking to him as he marched around my bed. I said, Flatfoot. That's what she named him. That's Can rude. I have flat feet. <laughs> I know. So she said, Flatfoot, can you dance the Highland Fling? This seemed to delight him. I um, sang the music for him and he danced most admirably. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this one. I don't. Like, given how bossy she is later on. The fact that she's happy that the ghost did as she ordered sounds about right. It really does. Now all I can think of is river dance. It's like, like all I can think of is like. Well, the Highland Fling's a little different, but I can definitely I see the comp comparison. But now that's all in my head is this poor ghost that she's like clapping. And oh like no, she's being haunted by Michael Flatley. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be his last performance ever. It'll be Michael Flatley goes to the dance. <laughs> goes to the dance. Goes to the dance. <laughs> oh my gosh! For those out there, I know it's not the Highland Flea. That's all I can think of. That's all I can think of. <laughs> oh, but she commanded him, and it, like you said, how rude, Flatfoot. If he's dancing, he's obviously got so, like give him a better name than Flatfoot, right? Like, also, um, people with flat feet don't walk in a super distinctive way. Like, way to assume. No kidding. I actually have really flat feet, and I was a dancer. We can still dance. Same. I did Irish step dancing for a hot minute. I didn't get the hard shoe, and I learned I have plantar fasciitis trying to do it. Um, <laughs> oh, so it did no. not go well. But no, yeah, I've, I've danced. I've done ballet, tap. I've done all of it, at least for a little bit. But I have very, very flat feet. My cousin says I have Barney Rubble-shaped feet because they're square and they're flat. <laughs> oh, no. Well, if, if Leah was around, she would call you flat foot. If Leah was around, I'd kick her down the stairs. 
And on that note, let's continue our story. It's okay. I don't have we chairs ap- in my house. <laughs> we apologize to any Leah fans mm. in the world. No, we apologize to anyone named Leah. If you're a fan of Leah, then that's on you. <laughs> well, there we go. So after this is happening, her mother, Margaret, was horrified and cried out to Calvin, like, come help us. because Michael Flatley this- was dancing around the bed. <laughs> I'd be horrified, too. Yes. Now, at this, the spirits actually became really angry and started throwing objects about the room and even slapping the humans. Because she called him Flatfoot. We see a natural consequence. I agree. I agree. Now, suddenly, the living saw the figure of a man laying across the bed, breathing heavily and in great distress, who was wrapped in a sheet. Then Kate was slapped again and knocked into a trance-like state. And when she awoke, she spoke of seeing the terrible events at Hydesville and just sobbed inconsolably. She then recited 20 to 30 verses of poetry, ending with the line, to be with Christ is far better. Which So basically she went into a trance, which I feel really bad because she's this young girl. And to see what she saw, it's like, oh... Like, no. Yeah, that's... That's that's intense. Yeah, and also seeing a full-body apparition laying across your bed is not a comfortable thought. No, no, not at all. It's bad enough when you see a butt print happen in a bed, right? (laughs) I have seen that. (laughs) I know, that's why I said it. Well, or when you see handprints on a bed. Mm, I don't like that one either, but at least I didn't see them (laughs) happening. I just found them the next day. Yeah, well, I guess I never saw him happening, but we've we've walked in and um, definitely discovered someone was sitting on the bed. Yeah, three times in a row I found those handprints. Ooh, it's creepy. Creepy. (sighs) Now, as you can imagine, with all this going on, it wasn't long before history repeated itself and word began to spread throughout Rochester of the Fox family and the mysterious wrappings. Now, this is kind of, this kind of, so people are starting to come over and, and they're wanting to hear it for themselves. They want to be part of the seances. And I think this is kind of sad, but it also tells a little bit more in my mind about Leah. So I included it on one occasion when guests were seated for a gathering and they were ready for the spirits, which in a way kind of, I hate to use this word, but it's kind of what they're doing to kind of perform for them or yeah. make something happen. Um, the room was just silent. Nothing happened. And Leah, the older sister, immediately accused her daughter Lizzie of upsetting the spirits and just called her wicked. And poor Lizzie is just sobbing. And um, and what happened was after this violent slapping incident, she was terrified, understandably, and just begged the spirits to leave the house and leave them alone. So they did. And her mother sits there and scolds her and calls her wicked and is like, you need to apologize. You need to ask forgiveness. And that just kind of, that broke my heart. Like, oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, it's because we can both relate to being that kid who just wants it to stop. Yeah. And then being yelled at for having made something that scared you, like you, you made it stop. And then having mom get mad at you would be that upsetting because like. I I was scared. I fixed it. Why aren't you congratulating me? Like, I'm yeah. sorry I got in the way of your money, Mom. I was scared. Yeah. Yeah. 
that yep that story makes me sad now i will say spoiler alert the spirits aren't gone forever no. they do return <laughs> this would be this would not silent. be a two-part episode <laughs> no that would be the end of the story okay the end bye guys no just kidding they come back they do come back um but like we said word is spreading and some of um so it doesn't take long for um it to get out of you know to spread some to some pretty influential people and this included community leaders Isaac and Amy Post and the posts were Hicksite Quakers and free thinkers and at the time they were considered really radical for their fervent advocacy of reform causes including abolition and women's suffrage they supported those causes so they were these crazy radical quakers well that's the kicker is that the quakers in general didn't favor slavery so the fact that abolition was made them extreme doesn't make any sense to me um the women's suffrage makes sense because shoot regular guys are barely allowed to vote by this point in time how dare women ask for the same thing Um, well exactly but logistically like the the quakers were not pro-slavery why would that how would that be enough to ostracize? And, and it may have just been, I think they were pretty, a little more out there in the community, probably a little more vocal, but yeah, they were considered radical. Hmm. Um, but the posts were intrigued by the Fox sisters story and invited the girls to a gathering at their house, anxious to see if they could commu- communicate with the spirits. And they invited them, the posts invited them to their house because part of them thought okay it only happens at the fox sisters house so there must be something going on if it happens in our house it's real well the gathering was a complete success the posts were convinced that the spirit wrappings were authentic leah also showed her mediumship abilities that evening as well when she yeah so now leah is starting to come into her own sure it has nothing to do with fomo no, no, not at all. Not at all. Now, I I meant to say this earlier, but we hadn't talked about it yet. But I think it's an interesting tidbit, so I don't want to leave it out. So we're going to kind of interject it here. The sisters weren't the first ones in the family to have this gift of second sight. It, it had been in there and said the family kind of considered it a blessing or a burden. So the maternal great-grandmother had premonitions. And according to family lore, she would rise in a trance between midnight and two in the morning to track phantom funerals to the nearby graveyard. Hmm. And then at breakfast the following morning, she would relay the vivid details of her adventure, whose funeral it was, the mourners that attended, and any and probably what flowers were there, just all these little details. This is sad. It was said that everyone at the breakfast table would be sadly depressed by her tale and this talking about his funeral. However, what she witnessed would always come true within the next few weeks. I just think that would be so sad. Like, could you imagine living with her and every morning she's like, well, guess who's going to die in a few weeks? Here's their funeral. Here's what happened. Like, yeah, I mean, it gives you a chance to make sure you say goodbye. But yeah, every single day would definitely get definitely be a bit much. And okay, I suppose I can give Leia a little bit of credit where she was just coming into her gifts or she was no longer denying her gifts. It wasn't just that she was a terrible person because terrible people can be talented, too. 
They can. They can. And obviously it ran in the family. So. That's valid. I kind of wanted to know if any of the other siblings had knacks for stuff. Like, was, you know, David's house as quiet as everyone thought it was? Or did he have the same problem? He just didn't talk about it. Oh, I know. They don't talk about really any of the other siblings. Other, It's just the three sisters. Um, But that's a great, a great question. And I know I'm not putting this out there as fact. I just know there is a debate in the spiritual world that um, mediums, like some people are born with this gift, if you will, of mediumship and others are not, where there's also on the other side of that debate, everyone can be a medium and it's just some tap into it and some don't. So it seems at least in this family, it, it ran in the genes for sure. I mean, it makes as much sense as anything else. Some people have a knack for playing the piano and they learn it easier, but technically anyone can learn. I, I kind of go with that approach that anybody could do it. But yeah, for some people, it just comes naturally. That's kind of where I stand yeah, on it that as well. To kind of finish out part one, let's see what happens. While the girls had spent much of their time demonstrating in homes and smaller gatherings, upon the spirit's insistence and persuasion, they determined it was time to demonstrate to a larger audience. So the Post rented the largest hall in Rochester, the Corinthian Hall, for the demonstration. In November of 1849, Leah joined her younger sister Maggie on stage for a demonstration of mediumship. So that's interesting to note because I think a lot of times they always think it's Maggie Kate, Maggie Kate, and especially for this demonstration, but it wasn't. It was actually Maggie and Leah because Kate was still not ready she was still not comfortable admitting her powers in public, so she didn't want to get on a watch. She was also stage. somewhere between the ages of nine and eleven. Exactly. She's young. She's young, which really puts it in perspective when you think about how little they are. An audience of hundreds came to listen to the mysterious raps, and they were not disappointed. After the demonstrations, the sisters were escorted to a private chamber where they were disrobed and were examined by a committee of skeptics. So that that would be so hard and humiliating to do today. But back then, when you showed no skin, yeah, that would be really, really upsetting. I mean, you they can't exactly themselves- say no, because then they're like, what are you hiding? I'm, I'm hiding exactly. the fact that I don't want you to see me unclothed. Thank you for asking. That does make me think, though, with Leah being the one on stage, I have to wonder if they actually build it as the Fox sisters. And at the mm-hmm. last minute, Kate got stage fright. And so technically, they weren't lying if Leah went on the stage with Maggie. Yeah, no, it, it could be very well. I could see that. I mean, I can't imagine being that age on stage in front of all these people. And and so, yes, of course, some <clears throat> of these people are supporters and they want to come see them and they're excited. But there were a lot of skeptics and people wanting to see them fail wanting to see it be oh, yeah. a, it's in-person you know. trolling it's the same yeah. bitter vitriol you see on the internet but in person live and in color like no yeah i'd be scared yeah. too i'd be terrified like terrified. i remember doing dance performances at that age but i couldn't bring myself to sing or speak in front of people like i can force my body to do all kinds of stuff and my voice box was not on that list of things i could control <laughs> And being, and then on top of that, being in such a controversial kind of performance, like, I, I, I support her panic attack if that's what's happened. I also support oh. her just saying no out the gate. Yeah, 
Exactly. Now, after three grueling days of demonstrations and at times these humiliating examinations, they were found to be authentic and no fraud was found, which is so impressive to me because, I mean, obviously I believe they were mediums, but you have people there looking for fraud, doing everything they can to find out how they're doing it, and they were never able to figure it out. Um, now, letters and articles about the spirits and the Fox sisters began appearing daily in Horace Greeley's New York Tribune, which we're going to talk a little bit about him at the end, as well as other pamphlets and newspapers. Caitlin, we have another pamphlet. <gasps> oh, no. How short is this? Title. Is it a quick one that can be like an acronym of like four letters, maybe? Unfortunately, this one is longer. <laughs> of course it so, is. So I'm going to take another, I'm going to clear my throat, <clears throat> take a breath. So here is the pamphlet from 1850 about the demonstrations. History of the strange sounds or rappings heard in Rochester and western New York and usually called the mysterious noises, which are supposed by many to be communications from the spirit world, together with all the explanation that can yet be given of the matter. <laughs> Couldn't condense that. Couldn't do it. Couldn't take out a single word of that pamphlet. <laughs> Sorry, oh, breathing is hard. Oh, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. talk about quick and to the point. <laughs> oh, um, I mean, you just think who wrote that. I was like, that's a good title. That's, that's, that's good. Rolls off the tongue. It's easy to remember. So you can ask the publishers for it <laughs> by name. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it kind of reminds me when people don't, used to not know how to do email and they'd write their email basically like in the, in the oh, subject line. God. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> that is exactly what it's like. That's what it is. What's the subject? Lesson. Oh, let me give you my thesis. No, yes. no, I need the title, babe. What's the subject? No. Oh, babe. Well, oh, so now while the Fox sisters' public demonstrations were a huge success, of course, there were still many that were upset and accusing them of fraud, evil, and wait for it, witchcraft. Gasp. And this, yeah, the stage just became too dangerous a forum. So they kind of retreated and moved back into more private sittings. But now Kate had returned and it, they were a united front. That's good. So we're almost to the end of part one. We are going to, we're going to kind of end on a happy note. Yeah, a happy note and Yay. an interesting tidbit. After another successful demonstration at Corinthian Hall in 1850, the Fox sisters launched their first professional tour to spread the word of the spirits. In June of 1850, after encouragement and support from the famed seer, Andrew Jackson Davis. Hey, we know him. We know him. The Fox sisters traveled to New York City and settled into a suite at Barnum's Hotel. Ooh. Upon their wait, I wait, know. Barnum Barnum or no, it was a cousin, Very okay, cool. not not the Barnum, but close enough. Um, so Hugh Jackman's arrival. not going to make a random guest appearance in our podcast. No, Darn. but no, Hugh Jackman won't show up. But someone from The Greatest Showman will show up. So in just a moment, upon their arrival, the Scientific American scoffed and nicknamed the girls the Spiritual Knockers from Rochester. But that didn't stop them. The sisters began holding regular and quite lucrative seances in the hotel's parlor, 
guests gathered around a large table that sat up to 30 people. Sessions were held at 10 a.m., 5 p.m., and 8 p.m. with private sessions in between. Admission was $1. So everybody came to see them from journalists, politicians, businessmen, doctors, lawyers, ministers, celebrities, anyone that could, could afford the entrance fee attended. So some people that um, were guests were Horace Greeley, who's the editor of the New York Tribune, James Fennimore Cooper, William Cullen Bryant, and abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison, even Frederick Douglass, and Jenny Lind. Hey! Yes! The famous singer Jenny Lind went to see the Fox Sisters. I just wanted to share a little interesting story about one of those famous people that went to see them which was Mr. Horace Greeley, because this is really fascinating, and I don't know how much it gets talked about. So Horace Greeley was hugely influential, and he was the editor of the New York Tribune, which was one of the most prominent newspapers in the country, and he was um, just a tireless crusader as well. Well, he and his wife had a real uh, great interest in spirit communication, Mainly due to the fact that the couple had lost four of their five children. Mm. Really sad. Really mm. sad. The last one they lost was a little boy who um, died a year before the Fox sisters' arrival. Mm. So that makes sense. They're looking to reach out to their children. They're grieving. That um, makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Um, the girls were the guests of the Greeleys at their home. And afterwards, Greeley published the most unequivocal defense of them that had been issued to date. He reminded his readers that the mediums had been subjected to every conceivable test by hundreds of citizens, and they had passed. So, I mean, think about that. That's like going out in the biggest newspaper, or that be, it'd be like today going out all over the news. They're real. They're the real. It's just huge. It's huge. It was now, 1850s viral. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Now, not long afterwards, after this happened, the Greeleys suffered another horrible loss. So there's this um, girl named Margaret Fuller, who, or a lady, I should say, who is an editor and an author, and she was actually a really close companion of the Greeleys and had lived with them for a time. Margaret and her family actually died in a shipwreck, shipwreck off the coast of the United States. So just really tragic. So once again, they have another horrible lot loss in their family. They're devastated, and they sought solace in Kate Fox. Hmm. Like, they turned to a medium, which most people do. But this is where it gets interesting. Rather Wait, than just turn... What year did this happen? So is it the, it's the 50s, so Kate's still, like, 11 to 13. She, yes, she is still very young. Okay, I, that kind of worries me that they went for the youngest one. Like, that... I know. Kind of rough. I know. Well, and they kind of were convinced that, hey, she can come live with us and we have a leave, a live-in medium, but in return, she'll get this amazing education. And, yeah. and I can kind of I can kind of see why they want the younger one, especially if they lost so many kids. Like, they look at them more yes. like adopting an extra child. Like, I didn't think they were the nefarious about it, but it's just like, why why does it have to be the one that doesn't know any better? Like, Well, exactly. And and the source I'm reading puts her age at 13, but again, she could have been younger than that, depending on the age. But but the, the book I'm puts her at around 13 years old. Um, so she was invited to live with the Greeleys, and in return, she'd received this first-rate education. 
And of course, the Fox family jumped on it. Yeah. Yes. Like, here she is. Take her. Uh, but so she went. So Kate's going to school Monday through Saturday. But she doesn't. She's actually going under a different name. So the kids don't know who she is. So they don't realize that the famous Fox sister is there. So they changed her name for that. Um, and she's going to school, but she doesn't really have a chance to make friends or spend time, like, socialize, because any time away from school, she had to be at the Greeley's house. And this house was considered so sad, and I hate to use the word, but miserable, but Horace Greeley even himself did not hardly spend time there, and he even labeled his own home Castle Doleful. Oof. So he gave it that name. Um, so mainly, she's spending time with Horace, Horace's angry, grief-stricken wife, and that's her only companion. And I'm sure she's asking her to do mediumship, just constant, yeah. which is exhausting. Mm -hmm. On numerous occasions, she writes to her family, asking to leave, begging for them to come get her. But they don't, and the big reason was her older sister Leah insisted that she stay because she wasn't eager to remove Kate from under the wing of the influential Horace Greeley. So let's not upset the newspaper man. He loves us. He's printing good things about us. No, you're going to stay there. And, like, maybe he can influence you to not be a woeful child that won't do as I say every five seconds. Yes. Yes. <sighs> now... I did say we'd end on a happy note, and we do because the family is reunited, so she's not there forever. They do get back together not long after, and the Fox sisters were becoming modern celebrities. They were loved. They were promoted, sometimes despised by people, but Maggie and Kate started touring across eastern United States while Leah continued to hold gatherings in New York. And because of this, they inspired other people to step out in public as mediums and spirit circles were forming across the country, all the way from Philadelphia to Boston, St. Louis, and more. So, and that's where we're going to end part one of their story. Yay! That is Yay. that is a really good positive note because that's... There's so many people that like we follow on social media is that we love them as inspirations that help us be the like best version of ourselves or to be bold and go out into the world and do the thing that we want to do that's similar to what we see them doing. And that's literally what the girls had done is they went out into the world and they inspired others to do it too. Right. And, and I know we'll look at this more, but because of that, that's why... Medium, I, I look at it because of what they did and kind of broke some of those barriers. Mediums can do this work today. Oh, for sure. Which is amazing. But we're going to get into a little bit more of what happened to them later on. And Yes, as much as I'd like to say it was clear, clear skies and smooth sailing from here on. Uh, I've got the next part of the story for next week. And it's, it's not. It's going to be a Caitlin rant session. And I apologize in advance. <laughs> It is, but there are some good parts. There, there are. There's some, some amazing happy. parts. Like, it was ups and downs, not just downs. So, yes. um, until then, we hope that you enjoyed the first half of their story. We do. And this is Jessica. And this is Caitlin. And this was Calling All Spirits. Bye, Bye guys. <laughs>